dainty little run, precious. At the beginning of the year, we started talking through loving community for bold exploration. We spent several months talking about loving community. What does it mean for us to be loved by God, to be loved by one another, and to be people who care well for others? And then we talked for several months about bold exploration. What does it mean to allow the platform of God's love in our life to become the foundation from which we move forward into the things that he's calling us into? And tonight we begin a new series called Equipped. And this series is kind of all about the tool belt of things that we have at our disposal as we move out on the journey of life. And uh, I want us to, at the beginning of this, Close our eyes and take a few moments to consider three different concepts that we'll be talking about tonight. We'll be talking about choice tonight. And I just want us at, at very first, right as we're starting out, to close our eyes and think about these three things. So everybody settle. Close your eyes. When I say God's will, how do you respond mentally, emotionally, spiritually? How does that concept make you feel? What do you think about it? God's will. And just take note of that. All right, the next phrase. My purpose. How do you feel about that concept? What do you think about it? What has your experience been with it? My purpose. And lastly, choices and decision-making. What do you think about choices and decision-making? How does it make you feel? What has your experience been with it? How do you respond mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to that concept of making choices? And Lord, tonight, would you lead us, would you open us up, would you free us into the beauty that we have to step into co-laboring with you, to choose our way into the future. In Jesus' name, amen. All three of those phrases for me at some time in my life have been a source of anxiety, uh, it's kind of maybe even something that feels burdensome at some points. I remember even that concept of God's will. The first time I ever even thought of the concept of God's will was like an 18-year-old, 17-and-a-half-year-old. I was in this place in high school, and like college was on the near horizon, and there's that question like, what's next for you? What's God's will for your life? And suddenly, I'm presented with this concept of like, the choices that you make right now are going to inform the rest of of your life so you better get everything right or else you're going to be a failure in life everybody's going to be disappointed with you and God's going to be mad at you so you better get on board with what God's will for your life is because if you miss it everything is going to fall apart and so for me even from like the, the teenage years I had this association with the concept of God's will and making the right choices kind of associated with negativity and this burden of just like, oh my goodness, if I don't make all of the right decisions, then I'm in a world of trouble. Anybody been there? 
Yeah, right? All of us, I think, have been there at some point when it comes to making the quote-unquote right decision. And tonight, this is my hope. We're talking about choice tonight. So we talk about the series, Equipped, the tool belt that we've been given to move forward into the things that God has created us for and called us into. Choice is a huge tool in this process. And my hope tonight is this. Let's redeem the options God has placed before us as the gift he intends for them to be. And I hope that tonight, that burden that we felt when it comes to the concept of God's will, the burden that we feel being confronted with choices, the anxiety that maybe some of us are carrying around inside of us, that tonight we would release that anxiety, we would be freed from burden, and the opportunity to make choices in life becomes a joy something that we look forward to, an adventure to be seized, something that makes us laugh and smile, something that is hopeful for us. Do we want that together? All right. So I'm going to talk about four things tonight with choice. Freedom to choose, the wisdom to choose, the will to choose, and what I love where we're going to end this tonight, grace to choose. So tonight we're going to just start by talking about freedom. And this is what I want us to do with choice tonight. Let's reposition the freedom to choose from burden to joy. Sometimes maybe we have an overwhelming sense of anxiety in the choices we have to make. Sometimes maybe we even feel guilty about the choices that we're making. Several years ago, I went um, as a worship leader to this camp, and I led this track for uh, a bunch of high school students who were also worship leaders or involved in music at their churches. I got to spend a week with a lot of these students, and we talk about what it means to lead worship and what role does music play in our own lives personally and what, how is it a tool in the context of our congregations. And I made a lot of relationships there and even continued some of those, and I'd have conversations with some of those worship leaders on the phone. And... Probably a couple of years after meeting some of these students, I got a call from this guy. His name's Michael. And he had been leading worship at his church for several years, and it was something that he loved, and he was really gifted at doing it. And he called me up and he said, I think I'm gonna quit. And I was like, Wait, what? Why? Why? Like, you love doing this, you're really good at it. He's like, I think I just like it too much. And I was like, Oh, it revealed something in, in me about the choices that we make. Like sometimes we think there's this sense of holiness around living miserable lives. Or there's this holiness around making choices. And the more miserable the choice we've made makes us, the more holy the choice was. Michael was gifted for this. He was created for this. And somehow he had been led into a place in his life where he thought the choices he was supposed to make for himself were meant to make him miserable. And if they did, he was more holy for it. Now, will there be choices that we make that make us miserable? Yes. And could those choices be the right choices at some times in life? Yes. In fact, there are a lot of choices I've made that seem really, really awesome. And I get deep into it and I realize that 90% of the choice that I've made and the direction I'm moving is full of things that I do not want to be doing. So that is a huge part of making choices. 
But we have to move to this place, I think, where the opportunity to make a choice is something that brings us joy as we co-labor with God and the freedom of those choices. And I think the most important question that we can ask in life, and this may feel contrary to everything you've ever been taught in church your whole life. When I say it, you might think I am like speaking false teaching up here. I think the most important question that you can ask in life is what do I want? What do I want? And here's why I think it's the most important question that you can ask in life. Because as long as we keep the answer to that question hidden in our heart, we cannot begin bringing it before the Lord and asking other questions like, what do I need? Or what does God want? Or what is good for people? Or what is best for my life? If you and I reject the question, what do I want? There will be an eternal tension inside of our hearts that we do not know why we are experiencing that tension because we have not first been honest with ourselves. There may be things that I want that are not good for me. And if I'm unwilling to acknowledge that I want those things, I will never bring them into the light to deal with them. There may be things inside of my heart that I want that I'm afraid to talk about because they're really scary. And until I bring them into the light, I cannot bring them before the Lord to ask, me to give me, ask him to give me courage to accomplish those things. It is essential that we ask the question, what do I want? In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, we see this duality. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. There are two parts of making choices. You and I have the freedom and the joy of making choices choices of planning our course and then the lord comes into that as we invite him into that process and he helps establish our steps as we begin moving forward and it's not just god what what do you want for my life what is this thing about your will how am i supposed to do it a lot of times we're asking those questions and god is smiling looking back at us saying what do you want because I think it's not only important that we ask the question, what do I want? I think it's important that we acknowledge that God is asking us, what do you want? I am blessing you with opportunity. I am blessing you with choice. What do you want and when are you going to invite me into this process of moving forward in your life? Don't let your attempts to appear, to appear pious prevent you from asking the foundational question, what do I want? That's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira were doing. They were trying to appear pious, and so they didn't ask the question, what do we want? And they didn't get, get honest about the answer to that question. And at, in the book of Acts, the church was in its early foundational state. People were selling their property. They were selling their goods. They were selling their possessions. And they were bringing all of that money. And the apostles were distributing that money as everyone had need. Ananias and Sapphira, they owned this piece of property. And they said to each other, we're going to sell this piece of property, we're going to keep a little bit of the money for ourselves, and we're going to take the rest of the money and give it to the apostles for the use of the, of the needs of the community. And they were not honest about it. When they went before Peter and the other, the, uh, the other apostles, Peter asked them, is this all of the money? And they said, yeah, yeah, it's all of the money. And I think it's so important what we see. Peter asks these two questions to them because he knows they're lying. And he says, 
didn't the land belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Peter here in this context is saying, all of this stuff was yours and you had an opportunity to make a choice. No one mandated that you bring all of the money. Recognize that there is an opportunity for you to make a choice here and it's okay. But instead they came and they felt like it would be more pious and holy sounding for them if they came and they were dishonest about what they wanted, which was to bring some of the money to the church and save some of the money for themselves. And I can't explain this to you theologically. I don't know how this happened or why, but the holiness of God was so present in that place that after that lie, after their dishonesty, they fell dead in that place. And I can't explain to you the theological foundation of why that happened. It was after the crucifixion. It was after the resurrection. It was in the age of grace. But I think the important thing here is we see Peter asking these questions, saying you had a choice. The land was yours. The money was yours after you sold it. Why are you lying? And I think the answer is because they wanted to appear pious, and there was this expectation that they thought they were supposed to do one thing over the other, and they didn't want to get it wrong. In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples before his arrest, and he speaks of this day where there's this opportunity for them to make choices. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And again, I cannot fully explain the theology of what Jesus is saying here. Surely there are things that you've asked for that have not been delivered to you by God on a silver platter. I cannot understand all of what Jesus is saying here and what he's opening up for us. But look at this. There's this opportunity that he's inviting us into. Ask and your joy will be complete. There is a joy associated with the opportunity we have to make choices. And once we begin asking, what do I want? We can then come before God and say, God, what do you want? Here's what I want. What do you want? And what's good for people? And what's good for me? And what's best for what you have for my life? And I think it's even now in this context. Let's ask the question, what does God want? That story I told before about college and God's will and feeling this pressure about making the right decision and where to go and what to do and what my major was supposed to be. And I had this thought in my mind that there were right answers to all of those questions, that God had right answers written down on a piece of paper. And if I did not match my piece of paper with his piece of paper, my life was going to fall apart. And the truth is this, for very, very few people, God has something that specific. The Bible is full of those stories, Jonah being one of them. Jonah's call, what was it? Go to Nineveh. It was very clear, and it was dictated, and God was not mysterious about it. He looked at Jonah and said, go to Nineveh. But there were millions of other people living on the planet at that time, and God cared about those people, and God had a plan for their life, and he had a will for them. And I think so often we associate God's will with making the right choices about the specificity of decisions when God's will for us is not about what we do, rather who we are in the midst of what we do. 
And that is what I think when we ask this question, God, what do you want? He's responding with several different things. What does God want? God wants for us to love and be loved. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Surround yourselves with people who push you toward rightness and purity and loveliness and being admirable. Set your mind on those things. That's what God is looking for for us. That is what he's hoping for for us, that we would surround ourselves with these kinds of things, that these things would be set in our heart and in our lives and in our decision making. In addition to love and being loved, God also, his will for us is that we would embody the fruit of the spirit, that we would embody a life that exhibits love and joy and peace and patience. And we could ask the question like, is it God's will for me to go to church today? Maybe, I have no idea, but you know what is God's will? Is that as you're driving to church, that you don't be filled with road rage. That as you're driving to church, you are a person of peace and that you are kind to the other people on the road. And when you walk into this room, you are looking around and asking the question, how can I care for the people in this room? Is it God's will that you show up here tonight? I don't know. But what I do know is that God cares about who you are on your journey into this room and who you are and what you do when you get here. God is concerned with your heart. He cares about us manifesting the Holy Spirit. He cares about us being loved. And he cares about us revealing the realities of heaven on earth. This is what Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is my life, as I'm doing what, is I, what I'm doing, as I'm making the choices I'm making, am I embodying the realities of heaven on earth? Am I a conduit through which God is delivering those truths? Another thing God desires for us, for us to care for others. Matthew chapter 6, it's like on my chest, literally. Oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly for you, uh, with your God. So maybe tonight there are, there, maybe there's one person in the room where God has showed up in a vision or sent an angel to your room and you woke up in the middle of the night and that angel or that voice gave you a clear dictate about what you're supposed to do with your life. If that happened, talk to somebody about it. Let's test that, all right? But if that hasn't happened, do not spend the rest of your life worrying about making the wrong choice because what is happening is God is joyfully placing unlimited opportunities before you and saying, hey, what do you want? And when you make a choice of all of these unlimited opportunities that I've blessed you by laying before you, please invite me into the process with you. Please invite me into the process of walking into the freedom of choice making. And so that is my hope for us tonight, that we would turn making choices on its head and it would not be a source of anxiety for us. Rather, it would be a source of joy for us, which moves us into part two the wisdom of choice. I hate walking into Office Depot. I need to buy some pins. I walk to the pen aisle. 
and there are a hundred pen options. And not only are there a hundred pen options, like I can take them off the shelf and there's that little pad of paper there that like for a decade has not been changed. So there's literally not a clear page in the entire pad of paper. And I'm testing the pins and testing one pin after the other pin. And I'm immobilized by choice because it's so stressful. Which of the hundred pins do I want to choose? And let's say I finally come to a decision. Not only do I have to choose a pin, once I've chosen a pin, I have to ask the question, do I want one of these pins? Or do I want five of these pins? Or should I buy the box of one dozen of these pins? And then I start doing the math, which is most financially responsible. If I buy one pin, they each cost $2.37, but if I buy a dozen pins, they each cost $1.25. But do I need a dozen of these pins? I am immobilized by choice. Anybody ever feel immobilized by choice? Like there's just too many options laid out in front of you. And here's what happens when it comes to making choices. I think too many of us are are stuck in keeping our options open because we think, because we have been deceived into believing that if we can just keep our options open, we will be happier. That is not true. Keeping your options open will make you less happy, not more happy. And I think we have this thing inside of us like, okay, I will just not make a choice right now because if I don't make a choice right now, my options will stay open and maybe I'll get some sort of little bit of information that will help me make the quote unquote right choice a year from now. And so we spend a year being miserable because we've been afraid of making the quote unquote wrong choice and therefore we do not move forward in our lives because we are full of fear and we think if we make the wrong choice today, we're going to spend the rest of our lives being miserable. But the truth is we are preventing ourselves from making choices and therefore we are miserable until we make a choice. And this isn't just me talking, and this isn't just like wisdom of Bible verses I'm going to read in a second. This is science. <laughs> Let me give you some science. In 2015, the, the European uh, supermarket, Tesco, 90,000 items in their grocery stores. Along comes Aldi. Aldi begins getting more and more market share. And what does Tesco realize? Tesco realizes... We have 90,000 products. They have between two and 3,000 products. And maybe that's one of the reasons Aldi is getting more of our market share. So in 2015, they eliminated 30,000 of their products and brought it down to a whopping 60,000 products in their attempt to be more like Aldi with two to 3,000 products. The Guardian, the, the newspaper, wrote about this. And they talk about ketchup. Listen to this. Tesco used to offer 28 tomato ketchups. While Aldi, there is just one in one size. Tesco offered 224 kinds of air freshener. Aldi, only 12, which to my mind is still at least 11 too many, says the writer. And it wasn't just the products in Aldi. This article in The Guardian went on to talk about a few other things. Jams. They talked about fine jams. They gave these people coupons for like a dollar off or a, a, pound, a, a pound off uh, of jam, right? And they did this thing. So this is what happened. Researchers set up two displays of jams at a gourmet food store for customers to try samples. 
And they were also given a dollar coupon, or they're a coupon for a dollar off if they bought a jar. In one display, there were six jams. So picture it, display, six jams. I'm standing here with a coupon. In another display, 24 jams. Four times the number of jams. We think, in our heads, we are more happy if we walk up to this thing with 24 jams on it, right? Well, this is what happened. They had the coupon, six jams, 24 jams. 30% of the people exposed to the smaller selection bought a jam, but only 3% of those exposed to the larger selection did. One more piece of data that I think is really interesting that was in this article. Retirement plans. There was a company. This company offered 156 different retirement plan options to their employees, thinking the more we offer, the better it is for our employees. The study showed that for every 10 mutual funds the employer offered as options to the employees, rates of participation by employees went down 2%. So in this case, rates went down 30%. 30% fewer people invested in their retirement. Even though by not participating, employees were passing up as much as $5,000 a year from the employer who would happily match their contribution. Those people were willing to give up $5,000 a year because they didn't want to make a choice about which retirement plan to choose. You and I are psychologically led to believe that we will be happier if we keep our options open. But I think we are making our lives more miserable by deceiving ourselves that that is true. Because it is not true over and over again. You and I have the opportunity to step into a relationship with God that eliminates every other choice by saying yes to the one that he is calling us into. And I promise you that we will be happier and more fulfilled because we are pursuing the purpose that God has laid out for our lives. And it comes through wisdom. Our understanding, our experience, and the Holy Spirit in us bring wisdom to choose. Proverbs 3 talks about this beautiful idea of wisdom. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. There's a beautiful opportunity into inviting the Lord into our lives to give us wisdom and understanding so that we can make choices to move forward in the things that he has called us to and has created us for. And for Samuel, Samuel is having to make a choice about who the next king will be. And all of these people come before him, one of those people being David, who's the smallest and the scrawniest among them. And the Lord says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God gives us new eyes when we, we are filled with his wisdom. But I think too many of us, too often of the time, think that being filled with the Lord's wisdom means that we will come to a singular right answer. And that is not what wisdom is. Wisdom doesn't mean having all the answers. 
It means being able to see with a broad point of view. When the Lord comes and brings his wisdom, it allows us to zoom out from all of our fears and all of our anxieties and all of our perspectives and all of our worries and all of our paradigms. And suddenly we take a step back and we don't have the tunnel vision that is directed by the fear of making the wrong choice. Rather, we see from God's point of view, which transcends time and it transcends place, and it transcends point of view. It brings a divine wisdom into our life to help us make better and broader decisions with a new God-centered point of view. We would be worse off if God giving us his wisdom meant that we no longer needed God because we were able to make all of the right choices. Wisdom is not about you getting the right answer. Wisdom is about you getting a broader perspective, getting God's perspective, seeing it as God sees, and then stepping forward with that broad perspective, recognizing that he is with us along the way. James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. This doesn't say ask for God's wisdom and all of your fears and all of your doubts will be washed away. No, side by side in the same verse, we see wisdom and faith paired together. Wisdom does not wash away our need for faith. Wisdom gives us the opportunity to see more broadly and invite God and in putting our faith in God into making decisions alongside of him. And the Holy Spirit is here with us, giving us a new perspective and a new point of view. And it also, wisdom also comes through our understanding and through our experience. In Proverbs chapter 4, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. And I think this is so important for us. Because again, we can get this like really narrow tunnel vision with our own perspectives and our own ideas and our own fears and our own anxieties. When we open ourselves up and we have God's broad view, it gives us the ability to, have a, to, to loosen our hands and invite him into helping shape our future. Wisdom is the willingness to hold everything you think you know loosely so that you might come to a deeper revelation. So we have this idea of like the freedom to choose and it's my hope that today we can flip, you know, if we have any anxieties about choice in our life, any fears about choice in our life, that we can flip that on its head and see it as an opportunity for joy. And I hope that we ask the Holy Spirit to come in and give us wisdom, to give us God's eyes. And the third piece of this is the will to choose. So we have the freedom to choose, the wisdom to choose, but it also necessitates the will to choose. Because it's not enough to make a choice one time. Every choice we make is a choice we make every day, every hour, every second of our lives. And what we see over and over and over again in the Bible and in probably most of the lives of the people that you know or the stories you hear is this, that those who accomplish much are the ones who have made choices in a single direction over the long haul. 
Because here's what happens, right? We have all these choices around us, and we think, all right, I'm going to make this choice. And we start moving down this road, and suddenly every other choice in our periphery becomes more and more appealing. And it starts whispering, and it starts calling our name. And you're walking down this road that you have spent time with the Lord, and you've said, all right, this is the choice I'm going to make. And then that one starts looking like way more fun because we're seeing how hard this one is. We're seeing how unfun so much of it seems. And, and maybe if I just divert, maybe I just divert my path in this direction. Maybe it'll be more fun or maybe it'll be easier. The truth is that every choice is hard. And every path has bumps and hurdles and ditches that we're going to fall into and get really dirty and scrape up our knees. Making a choice is, is the first step in continuing to choose that thing for the long haul. We see this in the life of Paul. Paul goes from place to place. He goes to prison. He experienced shipwreck. But he had this moment at the beginning of his ministry where he met Jesus on a road. And because of that encounter, Paul made a choice about the direction of his life. And until the day he died, he continued to make choices in that direction. Even when things were sweaty and gross and hard and painful, he continued to say yes and making choices in the direction of the choice that he had already made back there and if we're going to step into the fullness of the things that God has called us to it's not just one choice it is the same choice day after day moment after moment when we fall down and scuff up our knee it means we stand back and we keep walking when we fall in the ditch and we're dirty and messy it means we stand back up and we keep walking when we're making the choice that God has called us into, and we set our lives in a direction, we will have to continue to make that same choice over and over and over again. And maybe you feel immobilized. Maybe there just seem to be too many choices, and so you think it's easier not to make one. Or you, you say, okay, this is the road I want to walk down, but there's like 500 things I have to do in order to walk down that. The way we start walking in the direction of our calling is to make a conscious choice to take one step every day. Make a conscious choice to take one step every day. Plethora of choices. Thank God I'm joyful about that. It's not a burden in my life. I'm turning it upside down and I'm making it the gift that God wants it to be in my life. Thank you, Lord, for choice. It's 2017. I exist in a world where there's more choice than ever before. Thank you, Lord. Give me your wisdom because I want to start walking in the right direction, quote unquote, right. <laughs> you start walking in that direction and you make a choice. And let's say this math, I'll give you some math, 30 minutes every day, five days a week, 48 weeks of the year. I give you a month off, four weeks off, 30 minutes a day, five days a week, five days a week, 48 weeks a year. At the end of your year, you will have devoted 120 hours pursuing whatever that thing is. The only excuse you have is because you didn't want to. All of us have the opportunity, I, every, and I'm keeping this general because every single one of this is different than every, for every single one of us. But God has called us to something, and he has given us a passion, and we have no excuse other than I just didn't want to at the end of the day. 
I, all the time, all the time I hear people say, well, that person over there who is achieving that thing or who is following their dream or who is living out their passion or is doing this awesome thing, that person's just different from me. They're just made differently than me because something inside of me makes me want to lay in my bed all day and watch Netflix. That's what I want to do. Guess what? That person who's walking down that road every day also wants to lay in their bed and watch Netflix. They have made a different choice, and that's what makes them different. Every single one of us is exactly the same. We all want to lay in our bed and watch Netflix. So don't look at the people around you who are achieving things that you wish you were achieving or are achieving things, and that inspires you to achieve something that the Lord has called you to and say, I can't do it because they've got something I don't have. It's not true. It's a lie. They have every, you have everything they have. They've just made different choices than you've made. Thanks for finally getting fired up about this. <laughs> and all of you are saying amen to that. But how many of you are laying in your bed watching Netflix? <laughs> all right. Proverbs 6. All right. If, if you can't take my word for it, look at the ants. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander. I just need somebody who can tell me what to do. If somebody can just tell me what to do, I need somebody else to be my boss. Ants don't have another boss. They have no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Get up out of your bed, walk to the sidewalk in front of your house, and find the ants marching in line to get their food that they need to survive. And let that be the inspiration to you to get up and do the work that it takes to do the thing that the Lord has called you to do. The easiest thing in the world is following how you feel, but fulfilling your calling means working when you don't want to. The easiest thing you can do is succumb to how you feel when you wake up in the morning. But fulfilling your calling means working when you don't want to. And here is the sweetest part of all of this. We have the freedom to choose. God comes and, and meets us with wisdom. We have the will to continue making those choices every day. And lastly, this, the grace to choose. It's so beautiful. We can't let the fear of wrong choices immobilize us today. We cannot let the fear of wrong choices immobilize us today. I think every single one of this in this room, uh, every one of us in this room will get to the end of our lives and ask the question, did I make the right choices? Every single one of us. I think there are people who are living today who will save a million people from starvation. And they will get to the end of their lives and, make, and, and ask the question, did I make the right choices? Every single one of us are going to ask that question. Did I marry the right person? Did I live in the right city? Did I follow the right career path? Did I save enough people? Did I do what God wanted me to do? We will all get to the end of our lives and ask those questions. So stop letting those questions prevent you from making a choice today. 
We have to make choices today and walk down the road. And the beauty of it is that God's grace is present with us. God's grace is present with us. If you make a choice today and start moving in a direction and five years from now you say to yourself, oh man, I really messed it up. God's grace is present with you five years from now. God's grace is present with you tomorrow. And if you make a choice today, there is no end to the grace that God is extending to you in your choices. So allow them to be an exciting journey, not an, a burdensome weight that, lists, that weighs you down and prevents you from making any decisions at all. Do not let the fear of what if immobilize you and stop you from moving forward in your own life. Will I get to the end of my life and ask these questions? Cole, did you do the right thing? Did you live in the right city? Did you give your time and life and energy to the right place and people? Yes, I'm going to ask those questions. I am absolutely confident of it. And the longer I live, the more confident I am that I, I am sure that I'm going to ask those questions at the end of my life. But all I can do today is make a choice recognizing that every single day is an opportunity for God's grace to meet me where I am. And if I want to shift 180 degrees in the opposite direction tomorrow, right now, if I want to stop talking and walk out of this room and give all of this up and go somewhere else and do something else, God's grace is present with me in that. God's grace is available to me for that. So I cannot, let the, the, I cannot let the fear of what if prevent me from making choices today. And the same is true for you. We all know it. His mercies, right, are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Tomorrow, a week from now, a year from now, five years from now, his mercy is already there. His grace is there, ready to meet you. So all of these choices around you, more than ever before, you can get on Amazon right now and see way more pins than I was standing in front of at Office Depot. More choices than ever before. And it's a joy. It's an opportunity. It is so big. You literally can go home and accomplish life-saving things on the internet without leaving your house tonight. You could save a life tonight on the internet. Like, we have more choices than ever before. And it's incredible. Allow the Lord to come in. And if you have any bit of anxiety about choices in your life, right now, tonight, in this room, allow Him to flip it upside down and it become a joy for you. And then ask him to come and give you wisdom about all of that unlimited opportunity that surrounds you. And then step into it and continue to choose every day until the day that he says or he puts in your heart, I want something else, Lord. I want something else, Lord. What do you want? Because I'm recognizing it in myself. I want something else now. What, what is this thing that's happening in me? I want to bring it before you. I'm going to ask you to give me wisdom about it. And God says, awesome. My grace is here for you. Let's do it. Yes, let's do it. Let's walk in the new direction. Yes. So let's stand together. And I, wanna, um, I want us to close our eyes again. And I want to give you these free, three phrases that we talked about at the beginning of tonight. The first one 
God's will? How do you think about it? How do you feel about it? What does it mean to you, God's will? Are there things we need to ask him to shift in us about the concept of his will? Or has he already, has he already tonight shifted something for you when it comes to his will? The second phrase, my purpose. Did you experience anxiety around that when we first started tonight? Did you experience something like negative? Did that feel like a burden? I don't know my purpose. There's too many options. Let him come and wash over you and redeem you and change your mind and your heart so that you begin seeing your purpose as a beautiful opportunity laid out before you. God's will, my purpose, choice decision-making. At the beginning of tonight, did you have anxiety around that? Did you have fear around that? Did you feel overwhelmed by it? Let's just take a deep breath and let him come in and turn the opportunity to choose into a beautiful joy, a new adventure laying in front of us that he wants to walk with us into. All right, tonight is the opportunity to start something new. Tonight can be like a watershed moment for you. It can be the moment where you like turn something utterly around in your life. As we sing these last two songs, there are some people in the back here, in this corner. And if you want to go to pray with somebody about any of this stuff, if you want to talk to somebody about this, if you want to speak it out loud, if you want to pray for joy and replacing fear, whatever it is, if you have something you want to pray with, uh, somebody else about just gonna as we sing these last two songs they're standing back there and they would love to pray with you let's allow this to be a watershed moment for us where we literally transform and tar- start taking a new step in a new direction when it comes to god's will and the choices we have to make in life yeah god just bless our time together lead us forward thank you for your grace meeting us here tonight leading us on deeper into you in life let's sing